I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, which regulates many of our most critical bodily functions, such as learning and memory, emotional processing, sleep, temperature and pain control, and inflammatory and immune responses. The CBD brand that I take and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce a new innovation to their reserve collection, a sleep gummy. The reserve collection is a specially curated blend of full-spectrum cannabinoids, including THC. Rich and bold, the Reserve Collection products are for when intense support is needed. Reserve Sleep Gummies build on their unique Reserve Collection formula with effective sleep-focused ingredients to better prepare you for bed each night. Wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to take on the day with Reserve Sleep Gummies. All of Plus CBD's products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code HOFFMAN30 for 30 percent off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's new reserve collection, Sleep Gummies. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. It's one of our first uh, guests for the new year, and it's a topic that uh, I think is, is very, very important because there's no question that we're experiencing a mental health crisis in this country. Uh, the number of individuals, especially young people, who are experiencing mental health problems is soaring. We're seeing a big problem among our kids. Many of our kids are medicated. And then at the other extreme of life, we're seeing an increasing rate of dementia, uh, a problem that uh, threatens to literally sink our healthcare budget because uh, so many aging baby boomers uh, may be extremely dependent on pricey care. So today's guest is Dr. Georgia Ede. She's author of a timely book that's just out this month, Change Your Diet, Change Your Mind. A powerful plan to improve mood, overcome anxiety, and protect memory for a lifetime of optimal mental health. And so this is is not a brand new theme, but she has a very uh, unique take on uh, the diet-mind connection. You know, definitely there, there's a food-mood connection. Uh, people have talked about it for a long time. Uh, we had uh, Dr. Abramson back in the 1950s lay out the proposition that hypoglycemia was a big factor in mental diseases. And then we had uh, Bill Dufty, who came along in the 1970s, uh, who wrote a book called Sugar Blues. Sugar's bad for you, has deleterious effects on the mind. But uh, this uh, uh, book uh, takes us way down the line in terms of analyzing the connection between diet and mental functioning. So uh, it's a pleasure having you on the program. I'm going to introduce you. Uh, Dr. Ede is a Harvard-trained psychiatrist specializing in nutrition science, brain metabolism, and mental health. She has two decades of clinical experience, including years spent at Smith College and Harvard University Health Services, where she was a pioneer in offering nutrition-based approaches as an alternative to psychiatric medications. Uh, not that I took psychiatric medications uh, in college, but I uh, experienced some uh, mental challenges, and I kind of wish you had been in my corner uh, when I went to Columbia University back in the 1970s. Uh, Dr. Eid speaks internationally about dietary approaches to psychiatric disorders. In fact, I just heard one of her great lectures. Uh, and she is also uh, involved in 
nutrition policy reform. She teaches a CME course in ketogenic diets for mental health. She writes about food and the brain for psychology today. You may have seen some of her columns. Uh, she's also active on dietdoctor.com and her own website, diagnosisdiet.com. So without further ado, it's a pleasure having you on the program, Dr. Reed. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me, Dr. Hoffman, and for that uh, really, uh, I love, really love the way you set up the conversation about the, your brain health from from really a young age until our golden years is is declining. And I think what I'm really excited to talk to people about, your listeners, is how much more control we have over our mental health throughout our lifespan uh, using dietary approaches that most people haven't haven't tried yet. So I'm really excited to be here. Indeed. Well, tell us a little bit uh, about your own personal journey, because you were trained conventionally as a psychiatrist. Uh, presumably, you're well-versed in uh, using pharmaceutical methods and psychotherapy in addressing mental health problems. But at some point in your career, did you find uh, that these methods fell short of addressing the problems of your patients? Yeah, exactly. So, and I still do use uh, medications and psychotherapy in my work every day, um, but for the first 10 years or so of my of my practice, I used only uh, medications and psychotherapy in my work. And it wasn't until later in my career that I that I began incorporating nutrition principles into my work as well. And that wasn't because I had learned about nutrition and mental health in any formal sense, you know, in, in medical school and residency, four years of medical school, four years of psychiatry residency training, we didn't discuss the relationship between food and the brain once. And so it really hadn't ever occurred to me to think about the, to think about the connection and how and how critically important it is. So it really was like 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 as is true of so many of my colleagues who uh, uh, who end up studying nutrition independently and incorporating it into their work, I stumbled into this field uh, through my own personal health experiences. And one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I really don't want people to have to accidentally stumble uh, into these approaches after trying years and years of other things that may not be working. Well, more and more, there's a recognition that diet matters when it comes to uh, mood and even mental disorders. And there are now uh, papers that are appearing uh, that look at the impact of diet. Uh, but you take a little bit of more radical uh, approach than some of these uh, papers and some of this research uh, does because the research kind of centers around, you know, eat a healthy diet, don't eat a lot of junk, uh, you know, avoid ultra-processed foods, make sure you get, uh, you know, a, a rainbow diet, uh, you know, lots of colorful fresh fruits and vegetables, plenty of fiber, don't eat a lot of red meat. Uh, you know, those kind of recommendations are, are kind of trite uh, and, uh, you know, are generally acknowledged as being, you know, kind of wholesome recommendations for mental health. But you've, you've taken it a step further than that, right? Yeah, you know, so there's a lot to agree with in what you just said. You know, absolutely take the junk out of the diet. Um, eat a whole foods diet. I think these are really important principles uh, that everybody will benefit from. I think where the messaging gets muddled and where I think a lot of people are being distracted uh, is by the messaging that says, you know, that, for example, animal foods are 
are inferior to plant foods in terms of, you know, protecting brain health and overall health. You know, that red meat is dangerous, that saturated fat is dangerous. Uh, those sorts of messages that, that, that the more plants you eat and the less animals you eat, the healthier you will be is also a distracting message. And I think really where the money is, <laughs> you know, if you, if you, if you really want to improve your brain health, it's less about the percentage of plants and animal foods in the diet. Uh, and more about paying attention to the metabolic quality of the diet and the nutritional quality of the diet. So are you eating a nutritious diet that can deliver nutrients to your brain that it needs? And are you keeping your blood sugar and insulin levels in a healthy range so that your brain energy production capacity will remain robust throughout your life? And so removing the processed foods, ultra processed foods is absolutely important for all of us because that, that reduces the damage that's happening to the brain through inflammation and oxidative stress, um, that, that can come from refined carbohydrates and seed oils and other ultra processed food ingredients. But in terms of nourishing the brain, we do need to include some animal foods. Uh, that's absolutely the case. And, and we do need to pay very close attention, regardless of how many plants or animals we eat, to our blood sugar and insulin levels. Uh, I think if, if everybody understood those three principles, I think, uh, we'd be a lot better off. Indeed. Well, it sounds like uh, you're on the same page with uh, folks like Dr. Chris Palmer, who uh, we interviewed about his book, Brain Energy, because he mentioned the importance of uh, energetics and brain metabolism. And uh, it's his contention that uh, to some extent, uh, carbohydrates can gum up the works of brain metabolism, uh, but that switching to uh, ketones as a source of fuel for the brain uh, can relieve many psychiatric disorders. And, and I've, I've spent some time, unfortunately, on uh, Twitter, you know, uh, now known as X, uh, which is a little bit of a mental health risk, I think. Uh, but <laughs> sometimes I do see very interesting testimonials from people who've undertaken uh, a very low carb or ketogenic diet uh, who have uh, experienced relief from not just mild anxiety and depression, uh, but even very challenging conditions like obsessive compulsive disorder, bipolar, uh, even schizophrenia. So, so what's going on from a metabolic standpoint there? That's absolutely the case. So, so Dr. Palmer has published some really compelling, uh, case histories of people with severe psychiatric illnesses, specifically psychotic illnesses in the schizophrenia spectrum. Uh, and, 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 and in a couple of these cases, using a ketogenic diet, uh, patients were able to, uh, achieve complete remission from their, from their psychotic symptoms and, uh, were able to completely discontinue long term, uh, all psychiatric medications, really remarkable, um, uh, published case reports. And then, uh, last year, uh, I was the co-author on a paper describing the experiences of 31 hospitalized patients with severe chronic, what they call treatment refractory or treatment resistant, uh, severe mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, severe major depression. Many on multiple uh, medications, perhaps? Yes, an average of five medications, wow. five psychiatric medications, which is not at all uncommon uh, in, in, in severe mental illness to see that level of medication use. 
So I, I published the work of Dr. Albert Denon, a friend and colleague who is a psychiatrist who practicing in Toulouse, France. He's been practicing psychiatry for 35 years. And many of the patients that he works with, he's been working with for decades. And so he admitted 31 voluntarily, you know, asked, asked for volunteers, 31 of his patients with the most treatment resistant mental illnesses to come into the hospital and try a, tr- a ketogenic diet, a very low carbohydrate diet, moderate protein, higher in fat, whole foods diet in the hospital under his supervision, just to see whether or not it would help. And, and what he, what he observed was really remarkable is that every patient, so 28 of these patients were able to stay on the ketogenic diet, uh, for long enough to be included in the study, m- meaning more than two weeks. And so that, that in itself is, is really interesting that most people were able to follow the diet for a long time. Mm-hmm. Every patient, all of every 20, all of those 28 patients, all of them improved to a significant degree regardless of their diagnosis, the number of medications they were taking, how long they had been ill. And so all of them improved both psychiatrically and medically, metabolically, meaning blood sugars improved, blood pressures improved, people lost weight, they felt better. Um, and uh, But psychiatrically, uh, 44% of them achieved clinical remission from their psychiatric condition simply by following a whole foods, low carbohydrate diet. And this had never been done before. Uh, and this really, I think, brings real hope for people who think that they've tried everything um, and and have lost hope. And there really are other things that people can try that are well worth trying, regardless of, as I said, the nature of the diagnosis or the, or the duration of the diagnosis. What is going on mechanistically here? Can you explain it in terms that a layperson can understand is when you kind of do a switch from a typical diet that consists of 65% or 70% carbohydrates to a diet that is uh, ultra low in carbohydrates, maybe uh, 10 or 15% or less in carbohydrates. What, what's happening uh, at the level of uh, the brain that may have a salutary effect on mood? Uh, yes, uh, it, I, I can explain that. I explain it in a lot of detail in the book, but in a very, uh, but, it, but in a nutshell, what's happening is when, when you switch your primary fuel source from carbohydrate to fat, which is what you're doing when you lower your carbohydrates, when you lower your carbohydrate low enough, um, if you bring your carbohydrate level to, down to say, on everyone's a little different, but on average, say 20 grams per day, as opposed Could you to translate the, that into, you know, uh, practical terms uh, in terms of, say, what a fruit might deliver or a bowl of cereal or a piece of bread might deliver or a cracker or a cookie? 20 grams is what, approximately? Sure. So, so an apple is, say, about 25 grams of carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's pr- pretty low carb. So you're not even going to have the amount of carbohydrates that's in one apple. Exactly. And so uh, most people eat at least 150 and usually more like 250 grams, maybe even more of carbohydrate mm-hmm. per day. Uh, and the standard recommendation is that, uh, you know, a 45 to 65% of our daily calories come from carbohydrate. But what, what's happening in a ketogenic diet is you're eating 5% or less of your daily uh, calories from carbohydrates. 
When you do that, when you lower your carbohydrate to that degree, what happens is your insulin levels come down. And uh, and this is really important. This is key. So uh, when you, because carbohydrates, when you take in carbohydrates from apples or potatoes or, or, or fruit juice, any, any cereals, anything starts your sweet, you, it, it really puts a lot of pressure on, on insulin, on your body to produce insulin to, to process the, the incoming uh, glucose molecules that come from breaking down that carbohydrate. So the more carbohydrate you eat, the more insulin your body needs to produce to squirrel away that carbohydrate into your cells. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Insulin is insulin is good, and carbohydrates are not in and of themselves dangerous. But if you if you put too much pressure on that system by eating too many of the wrong carbohydrates too often for too long in your life, which right now is 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 what most people are doing, it damages that insulin signaling system. And eventually uh, that starts to break down and it becomes harder and harder to keep your glucose in a normal range. And that's, that's type two diabetes in a nutshell. So what we're doing with a, with a ketogenic diet is you're lowering your carbohydrate really dramatically, take pressure off of your insulin system so that you need a lot less insulin to, to process your diet. When you eat fat, fat has virtually no effect. Uh, requires virtually no insulin to be processed. So what you're doing is you're lowering your insulin levels. And when you lower your insulin levels, um, uh, you, you switch your fat burning systems on because now you're, you've, you don't, you don't have any energy coming in from carbohydrate, virtually none. You've got to, you've got to turn to fat for energy and who doesn't want to burn more fat, right? Mm -hmm. So this yep. is a good. So insulin is a fat storage hormone. When insulin levels are low, fat burning turns on. And when fat burning is, 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 is turned on vigorously, the liver will turn some of that fat that's broken down into ketones. These are very short pieces of fat, uh, pre-digested fat molecules, if you will, kind of fast fat. And those little molecules can cross into the brain and support brain metabolism. They can help the brain, uh, which in many cases is now having trouble burning glucose for energy because of insulin resistance and high insulin levels over the years, which we can talk about how that happens. But in any case, you're now supporting, you're bridging the, uh, the energy gap um, that can be created by damaging that insulin signaling system over so many years. So it revitalizes your brain's energy production. Mm -hmm. So if your brain's having trouble producing energy from carbohydrate, it can now uh, you can now sort of come back online full force. And the brain is really dependent on, uh, on a really robust, reliable fuel source 24 seven. It's a very high energy organ. Mm -hmm. So when you re-energize those systems, everything works better and uh, inflammation goes down, oxidative stress goes down, um, and healing is allowed to take place. And these are all and neurotransmitter systems stabilize. Uh, lots of things happen when you do this. Uh, there are so many benefits to this way of eating that, and, and I think this is what helps to explain why so many different psychiatric disorders respond to this diet mm -hmm. because it isn't just a one mechanism 
uh, approach. It's a sort of a multi-purpose tool. Right. It's kind of like Occam's razor that kind of cuts through all the different diagnostic categories and provides relief, not just to, you know, mood disorders, but, you know, severe psychiatric disorders and even dementia. It's actually been proposed that uh, patients suffering from uh, Alzheimer's or other forms of dementia may benefit from a ketogenic diet, a very low-carb diet. There's a term uh, that is you know, related to the different types of diabetes. Of course, there's type 1 diabetes where you're insulin dependent, you need shots, its usual onset is in childhood or adolescence, and then you need shots for the rest of your life, you have to get insulin. Then there's the type 2 diabetes, which are you actually making too much insulin, but you're insulin resistant. The insulin's like water, water everywhere, insulin, insulin everywhere, but not a drop to drink. And you're, you're, you're not utilizing insulin, it's called insulin resistance in the periphery, that's below the neck. But then there's what's called, as you know, type 3 diabetes, which is insulin resistance in the brain. What happens when, I think that's what you're alluding to, is inefficient metabolism of sugar because the uh, there's insulin resistance in the brain where the, the brain isn't properly utilizing the sugar that's around. That's exactly right. So uh, it, uh, Alzheimer's disease has been called for a long time, since 2008. It's been uh, referred to as type 3 diabetes, and that really... Um, encapsulates what's happening in the brain is a problem with glucose utilization, mm -hmm. that the brain is having trouble increasing uh, uh, sort of silently over the years. What's happening is if you put too much pressure on your insulin production system, you're eating too many carbohydrates too often, and your insulin levels need to run high in order to manage that all of that incoming carbohydrate. The higher your insulin levels run, the more resistant your cells become to that insulin, they sort of start to tune that insulin out and kind of dampen that response. And so, um, and this happens in the brain as well. So the more insulin you have um, in your bloodstream, the harder and harder it becomes for that insulin to cross into the brain. And that's a huge problem because glucose can still cross into the brain, no questions asked. You never need to really worry about your brain not getting enough glucose. Uh, what you need to worry about if you are damaging your metabolism uh, uh, through this process of eating the wrong way, what you need to worry about is low brain insulin. Because if the insulin can't cross into the brain uh, sufficiently, uh, insulin is needed. The brain requires adequate insulin to process glucose properly. So if your brain has plenty of glucose, as you, you alluded to this, your brain can be swimming in a sea of glucose and still be slowly starving mm -hmm. to death mm -hmm. if there isn't enough insulin available. And that's exactly what's happening very silently uh, over the years. It takes at least 20 years for, for uh, cognitive symptoms, for memory problems to become, uh, to become obvious in people with insulin resistance of the brain. So this is Alzheimer's disease is happening. It, it occurs, uh, it really what's happening is decades of sluggish brain glucose processing quietly in the background before you really notice that anything is wrong. So this is why it's so important for people to pay attention to their insulin levels and the, the quality and quantity of carbohydrate in their diet. And one of the ways that this is illustrated in pop culture is uh, the late, uh, great Betty White uh, appeared in commercials uh, where uh, when uh, she 
uh, hadn't had enough to eat, she was hangry and she was like this uh, giant <laughs> monster, you know, like with aggression and grouchiness. And then uh, somebody handed her a Snickers bar and all of a sudden she would turn into meek little Betty White. Uh, you know, it's as if the answer to uh, low blood sugar in the brain uh, was to eat more candy to get a quick rush of sugar to to the rescue. Uh, but uh, hypoglycemia is clearly something where, you know, when people are hypoglycemic, they really kind of feel brain dead. They um, they may have panic attacks. Uh, they may even hallucinate. Uh, there's some real harmful effects of very low blood sugar. So eating in a way that doesn't put you on a blood sugar roller coaster where you're uh, using fat more as a fuel and then carbohydrates will help to stabilize that? Absolutely, because uh, you use the, the term roller coaster is very appropriate. What's happening is there's if you eat, uh, you know, let's say you have a sugary breakfast or you have you, know, you have cereal for breakfast or a bagel or orange juice, uh, yogurt with 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 sugar in it. If you have uh, a high sugar breakfast, you're going to get a big spike in your blood glucose. And that's going to be followed by a big spike of insulin to deal with that glucose. So, uh, and then brings the glucose back down to normal. So you might think, well, what's the problem with that? As long as it comes back down to normal, what, why does it matter? It matters because insulin is not just a blood sugar regulator. Insulin is a master growth hormone. Mm. Uh, and, and so lots of other hormones in the body are paying attention to insulin's rise and fall, sort of like, I, in the book, I kind of describe it as, you know, um, musicians in an orchestra that are following a conductor's baton. So when insulin is going up and down, lots of other hormones are going up and down along with it. And so you get not just a roller coaster of glucose and insulin, which is in and of itself a problem, because the high glucose level, every time you get a glucose spike in your bloodstream, you also get a glucose spike in your brain, which is causes a big wave of damaging inflammation and oxidative stress. You get an insulin spike, which is going to make you more insulin resistant every time that happens. But then you also get this, this, uh, roller coaster of other hormones going up and down, including your appetite hormones, your blood pressure regulating hormones, and your stress hormone levels, cortisol mm -hmm. and adrenaline. Yep. Because uh, one of the alarm signals to the body when your blood sugar is too low is that you mobilize adrenaline, you mobilize cortisol, because it is uh, a life-threatening situation when there's not enough sugar in the blood uh, to uh, to power metabolism. So there's counter-regulatory things that happen, and you're kind of like uh, whipped from pillar to post all day long. Uh, no wonder you're <laughs> exhausted at the end of the day and enervated. That's exactly right. And so a lot of people feel, un no wonder people feel unstable, right? They feel they can't go for more than three hours without having something with carbohydrate in it. They feel, uh, you know, they feel that they can't concentrate. They feel their energy levels are going up and down. Um, and, and, and this is, of course, it makes perfect sense because that's exactly what the food you're eating is telling your body to do. But if you, you can easily get off this insulin and glucose and hormone roller coaster by changing the way you eat. And for some people, some people may not need to go to the, to the, to the extent of a ketogenic diet to do that. Some people, if you're lucky enough and your metabolism is healthy enough, you may be able to simply switch to a whole foods diet where all of the carbohydrates in your diet are coming from fruits and vegetables instead of from, you know, cereals and mm -hmm. juice and sugar. And that may be enough to stabilize uh, and normalize your glucose and insulin levels. But if it isn't, and in a lot of cases, unfortunately, now it isn't, most of us 
our metabolism is damaged to the extent that we need to go further than that. Um, you can you may need to go to a low carb diet or even a ketogenic diet in order to get that stability. Okay, we're, and we're going to take a look at that in part two. As our listeners know, we divide our podcast into two parts. It's a good point at which to pause because we're going to get into some practical solutions. Uh, our guest is Dr. Georgia Ede, uh, author of Change Your Diet, Change Your Mind. It's a great book to start 2024 off with because it provides you with practical guidance on how to optimize your mood and energy. Uh, subtitle, A Powerful Plan to Improve Mood, Overcome Anxiety, and Protect Memory for a Lifetime of Optimal Mental Health. The book is out uh, this month. Um, I think you can uh, pre-order it already, but it'll be out uh, within a couple of weeks. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.